Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masters Restaurants in St. Louis. There's five locations. STLMasters.com is their website. I'm your friend Brad, and today very excited. Um, I don't know how to how to even really start this conversation. It's Dude Love, it's Mankind, it's Cactus Jack, it's Mick Foley. Oh my goodness. Holy Foley, there you are. No, where did the beard go? I thought we were going to see this long beard. What happened? <clears throat> the massive beard um, was a part of my life uh, from 2012 on. I try to make everything I do as authentic as it can be. I really enjoyed uh, portraying, uh, in the case any kids are listening, we'll just uh, talk in code, a certain uh, figure in a red suit. And I wanted to do that as... Uh, as uh, persuasively as I could. And so it seemed like a good idea. I'd start usually at the beginning. I didn't have a full year every year. There were sometimes I got eight months and one year I did a pretty good job with six months. But uh, last year uh, during the pandemic, wow, uh, uh, Cameo video really took off for me. And uh, I just, uh, I owe it to those people who are paying me to give messages not to have a ridiculous amount of dark hair mousse in my bleached beard. I mean, it's like so, so ridiculous. Like I'm going to take a somewhat dark beard. It's not as dark as it would have been a couple of years ago, bleach it white. And then I'm going to put a mountain of mousse in there so I can do my cameo videos. So I figure I can be a pretty good volunteer Santa with a theatrical beard, but I can't be a good cameo guy with a mountain of sludge in my beard. So there's a long story of why there's no big beard. You're always a thinking. You're always cerebral. That's what I always loved about you. You worked on your promos and your gimmick and your character. You even think about your facial hair. That's great. Um, and you mentioned Cameo, so everyone obviously knows how to get to Cameo, but I see you do uh, wonderful messages there. Um, we're, we're here to talk today about a lot of your career. We're going to run through many, many facets, but uh, you're back on the road doing stand-up comedy. But not it's not really stand-up comedy. You're going to comedy clubs. But it's the Have a Nice Day 20-year tour. I had the book. I looked for it today. I can't find it. I've moved like eight times since I bought the book. But I had the paperback. It was the only wrestling book I ever had. But Have a Nice Day is your uh, your first autobiography. came out, I think, in 99, 2000, right. that area. Uh, you're going to be in St. Louis at the Helium Comedy Club on September 7th, September 8th. But Springfield, Missouri, and uh, I see you going through Iowa. You're, you're, hitting the, you're hitting the Midwest. People love you in the Midwest. Tell us what we'll be seeing during these uh, these sh these shows, especially at Helium in St. Louis coming up. Yeah, yeah, it's the Midwest tour. We're hitting Missouri, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and people can go to realmickfoley.com for tickets. They're looking for a caveat. I've got more reviews than any other athlete on the planet, three times more. Honestly, I think I try three times harder than most of them do. So I, I don't, anyway, I don't go through the motions. They can check out my reviews for themselves at cameo.com slash Mick Foley. That's the last time I officially plug a site or a show. Um, but I will tell you, uh, you know, I don't know what I have in store yet. When I started this tour last year was right before the pandemic. And uh, it was a 20 year uh, anniversary of uh, the publication of Have a Nice Day. But the 21 and a half year tour doesn't have the same ring to it. So I figure I can tell stories from any period of my career, and I'm just going to try to blend uh, stories together and come up with a few different shows. So say if somebody wants to check me out in uh, St. Louis, they want to take a road trip to Chicago, they're probably not going to see the same show. 
and all they might see here some of the same things but then once we open up the question and answer uh, every show kind of takes on a life of its own and i've been doing this long enough that if i get a lousy question i'll turn it into a story that no one asked about so I, I'm not going to, you know, what was your favorite character port to portray? That's a one or two word answer. Uh, but I, you know, I'll, I'll turn that into a story about one of the characters. I won't leave anyone hanging when they come to see me at the Pulse or anywhere else. Awesome. So, and that, that's hard for me because I have so many questions and you've answered so many of these questions or you've talked about hell in the cell and all of these other things that have happened to you. There's been five biographies, you've written five autobiographies. So there, I don't know how to ask. So I've tried to come up with some questions to talk to you about that maybe hopefully we can get, because as I was thinking, I'm like, well, Mick's answered all this stuff. People can hear it, but I'm going to try. But again, Helium uh, in St. Louis, September 7th, September 8th, both uh, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you can check out realmcfoley.com. So what I, my first question, I'm going to go all over, no, nothing in order, but the first thing I thought about go was winning the title uh, on Raw, obviously a tape match. Um, maybe people didn't know that, but it was taped when you won that. What what was that night like and the next ensuing days as you as you came home, you held the title, there was no events until Raw aired. What was that like, the anticipation knowing that this was going to air? Um, because, so you know, usually it's in the moment. It's at a pay-per-view. It's live. Yeah. But people don't probably don't even get the sense that these things were taped. So this show is taped. We always we already know that what Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff are up to over there. But tell me what it was like those days as you as you leave that arena in Worcester. Um, you take the belt home, I assume, with the family and and just that anticipation, knowing what the world is going to see that uh, first Monday in January of '99. Yeah. Well, first I think I'll go down in history as the only guy who tried to talk Mr. McMahon out of giving me, uh, the, you know, having me win the WWE title. I swear when I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I just, in in my mind, I saw Dwayne Johnson like scouting the area for a, uh, like a little plant for Ashton Kutcher to come jumping out of and say he's been punked because nobody thinks it's not a good idea to, uh, for them to win the WWE title. But uh, Mr. McMahon said he thought it would, you know, it would only um, enhance uh, the rivalry with me and The Rock. And so I grudgingly agreed. And uh, man, when I won that title, yeah, I felt like I had wings. I ran a surprisingly good clip for a guy of my size around the ring a few times, had a huge celebration and ring. And then, like you said, I've got to bring it home, not let my children know their dad's the champion. And uh, wow, they were allowed to stay up till 11 p.m. every Monday night because it was raw night. And they were so happy and they were celebrating. I broke out the title. To this day, I've got photos of the kids, you know, parading around the living room with the title. And then after this great moment in my life, I watched the replay of WCW. And that's where they gave away the, uh, not only gave away the ending, but kind of, you know, ran me down in the process, you know. And I mean, Tony knows what he said. I just saw him the last weekend. And we laughed about it. And it's funny because he's got a comic book series called Butts and Seats, taken directly from his comment where he said, we know that Mick Foley wrestled here as Cactus Jack is going to win their title. And he said, that'll put butts in seats. And then even worse, you know, ugh, like he was hawking a loogie, you know, to the side of the table. And it was a downer for me that night until I found out what the ratings were. And the ratings showed such a tale that as soon as Tony had uh, given away the ending 
instead of keeping people from going to WWE, I think half a million people switched over almost immediately and stayed there until I won the title, at which point they switched back to see what was going on at the end of, uh, of uh, uh, Nitro. Because Nitro had a show that people wanted to see. They had uh, 48,000 people in the Georgia Dome. I think they had uh, uh, Goldberg versus Nash or Goldberg versus Hogan, one of those marquee matches. And uh, when they gave away the finish, people just wanted to see that victory. I guess they thought I deserved it. It's such a great moment. And then I think also that that night is the loudest uh, Stone Cold pop. I mean, and it wasn't for one of his matches. And I think, you know, when you think back, it's it's probably, oh, man, Stone Cold has to be part of this. But I think the fans wanted you to win that night. And when they knew that he was coming, that meant, wait a minute. Mankind might win. This, this might have. If Stone Cold's coming down, he's not coming down to, to help The Rock. It's uh, such a pop. He came down to help me, and then that just uh, uh, enhanced their story going into WrestleMania because Rock and I finished with a really, you know, uh, uh, well, we we had a a, a wild and woolly uh, um, empty arena match that uh, that aired during the Super Bowl, and then I think. Uh, a couple weeks after that, I lost the title, and then those guys were off to the races. But I thought I did a good job uh, in uh, propelling that storyline, and I thought he was a pretty good short-term champion, what we call a transitional champion. I love that, too, because then I never even realized that was a thing until it became a thing when people started mentioning it, that you needed someone to, to lose that title so someone could be the, the, the winner of it. You needed a heel to go into WrestleMania, so that the yeah. obviously the uh, the face could win, I, and I was listening to one of your uh, podcasts. I wanted to kind of just again because I know that you've answered these questions a million times, but I heard you say that there's a point at the end of '97, '98 that you thought that the character was getting stale, and um, you know you had already done the three faces. You did the rumble where you came in three times, which is amazing yeah. as the three guys. Um, but I, I think 1998, just looking at it, it, it is such an. I mean. To have this many things happen, I'm going to list them and then just maybe talk about a little bit of them. You go in as the three faces of, of, of uh, Foley through the Rumble. You then turn heel because you get you have the Austin chance in one of your tag yeah. matches, and you turn heel. Your first feud in 98 is with Austin. Now, they, they Austin is feuding with McMahon, but he needs a wrestler to go in there and do the dirty. That's you as Dude Love. So now the first guy Austin do is, is you and Dude Love. Then you and Dude and then Vince do the dancing and have fun. Then it goes to Hell in a Cell, the taker. Uh, uh, and then you, you <laughs> McMahon turns on you in, in Survivor Series. This is an amazing year where you are in the middle of every big storyline with every giant name. And I thought when I heard you say, well, my character was, I thought I was burning out. It doesn't sound like it. That, what a year. Do you, well, when you think of that year? It was flat going into that match with The Undertaker because, like you said, I've been through a lot. I'd, I'd come into the company in 96 as Mankind, Mr. McMahon found out I'd been this dude love character, you know, in, in high school and college. So we, he allows me to portray dude love, allows that dream to come to life, which was great. Now he allows me to become Cactus Jack at Madison Square Garden. Now I'm alternating between doing different guys on different nights, coming and doing all three in one night. And then uh, it, I went from being <laughs> mankind to good mankind to dude love, to bad mankind, you know, all three, to bad mankind, to corporate mankind, 
to sell out dude love, you know, Cactus Jack to sell out dude love. And it was like, all right, I think I've had enough of this guy. And it wasn't until <clears throat> The Undertaker and I kind of walked our way to the pages of wrestling history that I had to figure out a way for mankind to connect with the audience without crashing and burning every night. And that's when that character started bringing a lot of humor into the forefront and people really felt empathetic for the character. And so he was off on a, you know, a really wild run at that point with, uh, with uh, Dwayne Johnson through 98 and through the first uh, three months of 99. So again, you've talked about hell in a cell probably on every podcast, but it's, I guess my question now, I have to think of again, a good question because you're asked about it all the time. What, was your thoughts going into that match as it, where did you see it going? Was it, was the first thing going to be you get thrown off the cage and you continue or wh where was your mind at as you're walking, you know, as you're at, at gorilla and you're getting ready to go and you guys go up the cage. I know that's part of it that you guys said, well, let's start at the top of the cage. No one's ever done yeah. that. Tell me where your thoughts were with where this match was going to go. And, and, and did it go the way? every way expected <laughs> well no, it didn't go the way i hoped it would but uh, i did uh, i had an inkling i was going to be thrown off that structure and i just told uh mr mcmahon that if i had the ability to climb off the gurney i would and i would climb it again because i thought that would be a really dramatic i said i don't know if i can do it but if i can i'm going to, I'm going to go for it and so when I climbed off that gurney, everyone was just sure the match was over. Nobody had ever seen a match start like that. And nobody would have said, ah, we got ripped off if it was only a 20-second match because they'd never seen anything like that in their lives. Like, you know, I think in boxing, MMA, some of the greatest matches were startling, you know, quick knockouts. We don't have that same advantage because we almost have to have a good match for people to think they got their money's worth. Um, but every once in a while you can throw a little swerve, uh, change the way people look at things. And if I had not gotten off that stretcher, I think a lot of people would still remember that moment, but coming off it, climbing up, having the structure collapse on us, which neither one of us saw coming and then essentially try to put the pieces back together when I was not conscious, you know, that's a, it takes some doing now it should be said that. Uh, if that same type of thing happened today, it'd stop the match, right? And that's uh, the smart move, the wise move with the, the knowledge we have about uh, head injuries, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. But uh, at that time, you know, you didn't stop matches in WWE. You just bought time. So that's what happened when I hit the canvas and I was knocked out. You had about seven, eight guys hit the ring to buy me time. And so... Uh, we did. Uh, we put the pieces back together on live television. It was pretty captivating. And I mean, it's something that's lived on forever. I'm sure you're proud of that, that you hear JR's call. It is, it is, um, I don't even know what the word is. It's, it's just one of the most amazing moments in, of all of, of wrestling history. So congrats, yeah. congrats. What, how many, do you know how many concussions? I know we weren't doing concussion safety back then, but can yeah. you, what do you think? How many times were you knocked out? I mean, if, if you're knocked out, I'd assume that's a concussion. Do you? And yeah, do you, do you, I only knocked unconscious uh, twice. I thought I had eight diagnosed concussions, but uh, a lot of uh, moments where I saw stars, I didn't, I didn't know that was a head injury. I just thought that meant the move looked good. You know, that was my inkling. Oh, that must have looked good as I see stars. You know, we didn't really know back then. You know, we're talking 25 years ago. So uh, I definitely overdid things. Uh, 
did my very best to make everything look good. And the way you ensure that it looks good is that it's got to, you know, make that kind of impact to make it look good. There's other ways to do it, but that was uh, one surefire way to know stuff look good as if it hurt. Um, and then, of course, we add some, uh, you know, a little pomp and circumstance and uh, come up with professional wrestling. But I probably pushed the envelope too far, not knowing, you know, what we know now. Do you think, and this is not, I'm not being silly, do you think you have like a special body and a special head because there's no one could do this? I mean, it really was a, I mean, everyone, we, you know, Ric Flair kind of made fun of you being a stomach, but this was a yeah. skill to do this every night and be able to walk and you still walk and you yeah. still have your, your you, you obviously yeah, have your. Well, I was paying the price for big time, uh, you know, for a number of years. And then uh, four years ago, I had my right hip replaced, which should have been replaced 10 years earlier. Uh, because I was in that I could barely get around. I was hardly functional. Then my right knee, because the right knee caused me so much pain, you know, it throbbed at night. You know, I didn't know it was locked in a position where I couldn't straighten it. Then that throws everything off when you can't straighten your leg out. And uh, so one leg is, so, you know, essentially three inches longer than the other one. It starts throwing everything you do off. And, uh, you know, of course, I've struggled with my weight too, because that was always like my compensation you know like that was how i relieved the pain was to you know eat something unhealthy but quite tasty um and i, I have to admit that i don't have that excuse as to why i picked up so many lbs during the uh the pandemic only that i was single-handedly trying to keep 12 local businesses going with my orders so i've got that going for me What's the most painful? Thumbtacks, barbed wire, chair shots? What? What? When you know you're going into a match, what, which one goes? Shit, I don't want to do that tonight. Well, the most dangerous to me was always the no rope barbed wire matches where the barbed wire was strung up, because you can land on a bale of it, and I have you can get hit with it, and it all hurts, but it's all a cal it's a calculated risk. Whereas barbed wire that's strung up can catch and tear you. And I've been caught and torn, nearly lost my good ear when I got 15 stitches behind it in uh, the uh, famous Kawasaki Dream Match tournament. I saw Sabu, I get, I think it was 100 stitches he needed afterwards. And uh, you can see he just got, a, he got a, his manager throw him in a roll of athletic tape and he wrapped it up while he was uh, wrestling until afterwards. So, yeah, there's some really bad injuries uh, that can hurt you in a hurry when the ropes go down and the wire goes up is if you don't if you it's like mr miyagi said you stand on one side of the road you're fine you stand on the other side you're fine but you stand in the middle get squashed just like a grape so if you're you you either do those matches or you don't do them but you don't do them halfway so you do them halfway they look awful and you get hurt even worse so you almost have to uh, conquer that wire to let it know that you're its daddy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I don't know if it has feelings, but uh, fear it too much, and it'll rip you wide open. You mentioned that you have to do it full. You, you just one of your last tweets was Hulk Hogan's massive chair shot to Conan. I mean, it was just cl clearly he was banging him as hard as he possibly could. <laughs> like, I probably shouldn't have put that up there. As I like Hulk, and uh, he was a much bigger drawing card than I ever was. But it was just funny, you know. I see this like, you know, no, uh, not for you know, not for the squeamish. And I'm the type of guy like last night. I was watching the uh, great uh, ESPN E60 on um, 
uh, Smith, the, uh, the, the quarterback, uh, Alex Smith, Alex Smith, who had that horrible injury. And I can't even look at the injuries. Like I can't watch someone's leg breaking that. And so I don't even know why I ventured on it. Okay. Let me see this sickening chair shot. And then it was so funny because it was the furthest thing from that. It's just something I hopefully everyone involved with smiles at it's not me taking a shot at Hulk because I've done some stuff that didn't look particularly good. And that's open to, uh, you know, tweeting and posting as well. You would have had a good match with him though. I don't, he, he bled. Oh, he had some... had one of my regrets is I didn't stick around TNA longer. Uh, Hulk and I had a, a dramatic face off in the ring. And I was thinking, Oh, we could have a match. We could have a match. I'm not saying it wouldn't be methodical, you know, in its pacing that's slow by most people's standards. But I think we would have told a really good story going into it. I think we would have told a good story in the match. And I think it would have been a lot of fun and a success from a, you know, from a, from a financial standpoint. You mentioned it. I took it off my list of questions. But TNA, I was always wondering why that never really did just take off kind of the way AEW is. And maybe it's because of a Tony Khan uh, versus the ownership, but you guys had a lot of big stars. You had AJ. You had the guys, the young guys that were coming up. What are your thoughts? Just what happened there? Why it never really we did? We had a we had a ton of talent. I would say we had more name talent on our card than WWE did up and down the card. They had five, six, seven huge names. But I think if you looked, I remember talking to Mr. McMahon when they had uh, their elimination chamber, and outside of like four to six guys, I knew we had. You know me and uh, and Hogan and uh, and Scott uh, Kevin Nash, Booker Scott Steiner, Kurt Angle, uh, Christian. Like there were like eight to ten, you know, big names from WWE. But uh, WWE is the Jello branded gelatin of uh, sports entertainment. Most people weren't even aware there was a Knox flavored gelatin. Um, but I'd say that's what AEW has done. <clears throat> They've managed to let people know there's a new flavored gelatin in town. And uh, for whatever, uh, it looks very, you know, very much like a grassroots effort. Uh, they've done a lot of the things that people thought uh, hurt TNA, bringing in uh, a lot of WWE talent, but they're developing a lot of their own, just like uh, TNA did. Um, I think a Big difference is the decision not to tape the show, you know, at a, at a studio. Um, it was real hard to get genuine emotion there in that uh, studio at Universal Studios because people were basically coming in to get away from the heat, you know, air conditioning. They didn't know they were in for a three-hour taping. And so you had either fan, uh, tired theme park fans, tired theme park attendees, or you had people who showed up every other week and literally had seen everything. And, you know, you, you can't show up on a Tuesday or a Thursday if you're, you know, working full time. I mean, there are some exceptions, obviously, with work hours, but you didn't have a lot of families there. You had a lot of the same people. And, you know, we're, we're glad to have them. We're big fans. But it just wasn't an environment where you need a special element in the air to make something really memorable no matter how good it is and make no mistake about it there was some great wrestling in tna but i think there were too many other things that hurt the product and so those moments didn't really stand out yeah i, th I think what you say that i think about just this last two weekends ago cm punk coming out to seventeen thousand 
in an AEW ring. I mean, that shows you that this is for real. This is, and the crowd was just, you know, ape shit. Um, there, it seems like this is a real momentum type thing going on over there. I just want to get your thoughts on, I don't know if Monday Night Wars are ever going to be the way they were because it was just a totally different time, but there's definitely real competition this time, it feels like. And just your thoughts on what I think so. Doing. Yeah. I do remember uh, uh, one of our talents being at a football game and being asked about the competition. He said, there is no competition. We have to compete with each other, SmackDown and Raw. And now that gentleman, who was a huge star, is with AEW. And I think you would argue now AEW definitely is competition. But we always did our best when we had competition. I think it's just human nature that you don't run as fast if no one's chasing you. And uh, I think we feel, uh, we meaning WWE, probably feel them at our heels a little bit, which is good. I was curious. So these, when we talk about kind of the way WWE was now versus back then, you know, you had to really sort of just sell yourself and give that push of Cactus Jack and Mankind. Stone Cold had to go from the corporate million-dollar champion and just sort of be himself. The Rock was being booed out of the building and just sort of let his personality. But it was really, I mean, those guys kind of, you, him, Triple H, just sort of pushing that out there and making it, hey, I'm going to be a star. Whereas the Roman Reigns and the Seth Rollins, they got pushed down your throat but didn't really kind of get out of character. I don't know what I'm I'm trying to say is that you guys sort of pushed your own selves where I felt like management now pushes their own guys. Am I right about that? Is that possibly why it's hard to push a Roman Reigns until now where he's doing something that is clearly he really enjoys? Um, Am I kind of on the right path here with that, that when management tries to kind of push it down your throat, it's not going to work? It was a different type of uh, feel because anyone who go to house shows would tell you that Roman was over like a million bucks, but you weren't getting the casual fans or the families on Sunday nights and Monday nights at tapings because uh, you know, the children can't stay up that late. So these guys were getting phenomenal reactions at the house shows. I remember my, my children when they were so surprised at the big show, you get a huge baby face reaction, even though he was a heel on TV, but we, he was a familiar name. He was such a, you know, beloved character. A lot of people don't tune in every week and didn't realize, Oh, he's done an 18th character turn. Uh, he's just a beloved guy from the show and people, yeah, they really got behind Roman. You know, of course, when you go to a Sunday, Monday night, you're dealing with a lot of people willing to pay uh, a lot of money to sit up close, make the signs, boo the heck out of them. And, uh, he, he wasn't an anti-hero like, uh, the, the, you know, in style baby face was, but he's doing some of his best work now. And I think he needed to get the fans out of there for a little while so that he could cut those good promos in uh, you know, in a different type of atmosphere during the pandemic, establish himself as a great heel. And, uh, he's doing his best work. There's really no you out there, right? I mean, your your style is over. Is that is that complimentary? Is that oh, good thing? There's there's no me. Do you take that as a as a kind of a nice thing? Because really, I can't think of anybody that's going to be doing what you do. It probably won't be allowed. Insurance, all these new things that have happened yeah, in twenty. 20- well, they're doing it to some extent over there in AEW. Uh, John Moxley loves that style of wrestling. Uh, I just did. A, a, I don't know if the match has been announced, but I did an interview for an upcoming. Uh, a uh, wild match that he's got coming up in a couple months. Uh, so there are guys out there who still want to do that. 
and they've got a network willing, you know, willing to let them. I'm sure there would be guys chomping at the bit in WWE if uh, they were allowed to, but that's not in the cards right now. Did you get a chance to see Ric Flair back in the ring with NWA last night? Any part of that? And <laughs> no, who was he in the ring with? So he did a promo, and it was uh, and NWA is, is back. I don't know if you know about that. Billy Corgan is. Oh, NWA, yeah, yeah, in the studio. He did that in the studio. So NWA has done. They set up shop here in St. Louis at the Chase Ballroom, where okay. NWA was and they big. Did their- show right yeah empower was the couple nights and then they're bringing in the guys but they just had rick come in kind of i think just to do sort of a promo to kind of bless nwa coming back and it was emotional and it was fun and i was curious if you saw it and and just curious how much you guys talk because i know there was some bad blood back in the day but i think you guys are okay now right yeah we're okay yeah we text each other every now and then and uh, even after my biography aired, where Rick was kind of like devil's advocate, you know, which was great, because if you're going to have somebody kind of questioning your style, might as well be like the best guy ever, you know. Uh, and But he said like, uh, you know, he said something really complimentary to me. Uh, so I did not know he was there. That's good. Uh, you know, a guy at his age should be able to do whatever he wants, wherever he wants to do it. And I think uh, being away from WWE allows him to be that guy. A couple more minutes. I wanted to ask you about the A&E stuff. I think the show with Lost Treasures was so good. I did not expect it to be so great. Um, but I think what I get out of that is how do you guys lose so much stuff? So where, where, how, off, how much stuff do you have and how much stuff do you not have? And, and what, what did you keep that was very you know, sentimental? Because it's and, and how, how does stuff get lost is, is mostly, I, I guess, I, by watching the show, you can just see that ends up in a hotel room and the maid. And, but, you know, you had some well, stuff you were looking for. A lot of it was guys, you know, once their run was done, they would realize this stuff is just taking up space in storage or I can give it to someone who would really enjoy it. And sometimes it was for what seemed like a good price at the time. I think when I got six or $700 for the Mankind shirt, you know, one of two originals, I thought that was a heck of a price. And it's up to $7,500. So a lot of the stuff I gave away, good stuff I would give to, you know, kids who were in, uh, you know, who were struggling uh, with, uh, you know, medical issues. Um, I mean, I, I was over a buddy of mine's house and I wrote a nice little uh, Facebook post. I did my uh, Fan Art Friday with a friend of mine with Cerebral Palsy who did such a nice illustration. I didn't know he could do that. I honestly didn't know based on knowing him for almost 20 years and seeing the difficulty as, you know, with his hands eating, I never could have guessed he would be able to make such a great painting, but he's got the original, the original dude love shirt and a frame on his wall. And I'm like, Oh, you know, how much that be worth right now. And, uh, you know, there's some things, you know, uh, I mean, there's the original rock and sock connection jacket was buried with uh, a young man named Joey Reynolds in West Virginia uh, the original Mr. Rocco is buried with a young man who died of muscular dystrophy in Staten Island. And so I'm glad if my, if I, if I go to bed thinking, Oh, I wish I had given all those things away. It wouldn't speak very well of me, you know, uh, even, um, yeah, even my original WWE title, uh, I, I auctioned it to help one of the guys with their medical bills and it would probably be worth 10 times what we got for it um you know 16 17 years ago well it was a great show it was fun watching you do your thing there um another 
thing that I thought was fun back in the day was your appearances on Howard Stern. Um, did you, were you excited that you got to sit next to Fred, the elephant boy each time? I mean, it was, were you like, Oh shit, I just want to promote a book here. I don't need Fred, the elephant boy next to me. Sometimes. Yeah. My wife was like, I remember one time, uh, you know, Howard was playing like 12 straight minutes of fart sounds and I'm in the green room and I know I've got national TV lined up after that, but you can't walk out of Howard Stern. Uh, but Howard was great. You know, he was, I loved doing that show. I was on, I think I was the first wrestler. I got four or five times. It was always, always a good time. Did the Whack Packers showed up in WWE. Were they big, big friends of yours when Crackhead Bob? That was a Vince Russo thing, right? He was trying to get the Howard guys. In. Did you become friendly with all of those guys? Because you're, you're kind of a, you're one of their kind of. No, I would not say that I bonded with Crackhead Bob. Uh, Fred, the Elven Boy, and his brother were the only wrestling luminaries at my uh, wedding in 1992 because everyone else had a match. So, you know, we're talking about independent wrestlers, you know, giving up the Foley wedding for a $75 to $100 payday. But that's the way all of us are, you know, you got to do those shows. What, Fred, the Elven Boy was at your wedding? I did not know that. Yeah, huh. he sure was, him and his brother, yeah. How do you know them? His fans? I met them, uh... I met them on a wrestling trip uh, in 1990. And so, you know, like six months later, Fred was the, the key to unlocking the stern door. And, uh, yeah, so uh, once I was on, then several wrestlers were on. I think he had, a, I think Howard enjoyed having me on there. Yeah. Uh, so books, you have, what, five autobiographies, four kids' books? I'm trying to How are we doing? We got anything... Who has five autobiographies, by the way? And you've uh, written them in the last 20 well, years. You, know, uh, you got a lot of stories. I've got some stories. And, uh, you know, I like to write. And, you know, it was a case of diminishing returns. The first one did, you know, enormous numbers. Second one did really well. Third one did good. And by the fourth one, it was like, okay, I think it's clear. But I had then this Santa story I wanted to share. I, uh, I knew going in that's not going to have much of a readership, but people who read it liked it. And, uh, and I was able to give away, you know, the money I made to children's charities. So it was a nice, and I just, I liked the idea of sitting down and writing. I just, again, I always get this crazy, these thoughts of you jumping off a cage or running and then writing a book. It's just amazing to me to think about that. The Bruiser Brody Dark Side of the Ring was one of my favorites because yeah. you never saw him out of character. And to see you out of character is, is just so interesting. Um, so I, I just, I'm just i just enjoying our, our conversation here. But do uh, you have any heroes like that, Bruiser Brody? Like, who are your, your guys? I know oh, Superfly. Brody was, yeah, Brody is one of my heroes for sure, which is why I was so glad to do that pilot for Dark Side of the Ring. Big mistake turning down the, uh, you know, the offer to do all of them, which Jericho now does quite well. But had I known the show was going to be that good on a weekly basis, I would have done it. But I was like, oh, man, it's going to be a lot of people dying. And a lot of sometimes people do die in those shows. Uh, but Brody was one of my heroes. Terry Funk, Jimmy Superfly, Snooker, Dynamite Kid. They were probably the guys I looked up to the most when I was uh, learning to be a wrestler. Bret Hart. I love the way Brett took punishment. I thought that was the hallmark of a really good wrestler. Flair was a hero of mine. And, you know, as I got involved and found out more, there were other guys. But I'd say those are the top five guys I was a huge fan of.
Yeah, when we talked how you've written five autobiographies, I think I've seen eight biographies on you, and each time they're better. The A&E one was spectacular, so as I was thinking about that, there's always more footage, there's always new stories, so I, I appreciate um, that you did those and were part of that. You know, when I talked to the director, I was a little hesitant, and I said, hasn't my story already been told? He goes, it has, it has, but I think we have a different way of approaching it, and they did a great job. And so now I'm like, okay, it is one thing to tell people, all right, this is what my show, talk about the one-man show, it's going to be about the stories in the book. I'm going to bring them to life. And that was really a successful way of doing it for the 20 years of Hell Tour because you're, you're, <laughs> you're showing people that you are not going to be talking about current events or politics. You're, you're going to be talking about wrestling, which is what people want. But like, all right, what haven't I told them? Like, oh, I've got a couple stories I never told, didn't dare tell in my book. And uh, I might, I'm going to let them go. Uh, yeah, I'm going to let it all hang out. And I'm going to connect the dots and um, not worry about whether somebody may have heard something before. I'll just try to put together the best shows that I can when I'm on the road. Yeah. So Helium in St. Louis, uh, September 7th and 8th. You've got Springfield, Missouri before that at the Blue Room. You're going to Iowa and Michigan and Wisconsin through September. RealMcFoley.com is his uh, website. You can see those. You can find them on Cameo. I'm, I'm guessing they're the best Cameos ever. Uh, I really Good. Yeah. Good. I bet. I really enjoyed this. Um, I don't. I, I could spend much more time with you, but what I was thinking is you could, you could tell a story. I mean, you really could do some with a match each night you know, throughout your career for 20, you could just take a night and talk about a match. I mean, it's amazing to me the, the run you guys had. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this time. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Mick? I always let my, my guests kind of finish off the interview. No, you've done a really good job of covering it. Didn't feel like it was uh, something I was just giving, uh, you know, stock answers to. Well, I believe St. Louis is going to be packed on your back. So uh, thank you in advance for the house, as we say in wrestling. Well, let's hope so, and I, I, I hope to see you there. We'll hopefully catch up, and uh, we'll take a picture, and we'll do something fun with the sock or something. I don't want your sock in my mouth. I, I know it's a weird thing to ask. Don't do that. No sock in the mouth. All right, you got it. Thanks a lot. All right, that's Mick Foley. I thank Mick, and I thank you for watching. So it's Masses Restaurants again as a sponsor, stlmasses.com. Check them out, and we'll see you next time.